0: morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, so uh, first I want to start off with a thank you so much for the day before Thanksgiving outreach that we did here at the church on Wednesday. Um, It was so exciting for me just to see uh, most most of the time uh, the prep, I was in in, uh, the Middle East, and so just seeing it together, come together, and uh, Pastor Toby kind of uh, spearheading that Uh, Reaching out, finding out who needs meals. And so kind of as a way of thinking, we were like, oh, our goal is probably 50. That's what we're thinking, 50. And so usually here at the church, we just write a check and we go and we buy everything. And But this year was completely different. Uh, You guys provided everything. Uh, We didn't ask. We didn't like call numbers and say we need things. We got 42 people, I believe, signed up for meals the day before. And we had 50 meals prepared. And at the end of the day, 49 meals were gone. Um, So we had exactly what we need. And actually, the next morning, one person came and took the 50th meal. So we still have, I think, 12 turkeys in our freezer. So if you know anybody that needs a turkey for uh, the next couple of weeks, and we have some, a little bit of food, uh, not the day before Thanksgiving food, but we had a couple of donations come. If you need a, anybody uh, or know of anybody that needs um, some food right now in this season, please talk with any one of us uh, pastors and we'll be able to get you uh, that. But how cool is that, that God knew exactly um, who needed and provided exactly what we, and I think the church, we provided a gift card for people to get a little bit more at Fred Meyer and we bought the boxes and that's it all the rest of the stuff was uh, exactly what we needed and what was donated by you. So on Wednesday morning, we had people showing up at nine o'clock and we put together uh, these boxes and, and people came and we delivered all the way from Lincoln city, all the way down to Walport and over to Toledo and, and Salettes. And um, I got just texts after I, 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 actually that morning or the, the night before I texted every single person and said they're on their way or please come in and almost Every single person texted me back, what a blessing this is. You don't know how perfect this is. We weren't going to be able to provide a meal for my family this year, but because of and and more. So thank you guys for that. And so as I mentioned last week, uh, one of the things that we I like to do is I get to come up here and just brag on our missionaries and, and talk about what the Lord is doing both here locally and around the world. And as you guys know, I just got back from Lebanon. I got to share that last week. And one of the cool things is we have our missionaries from Cambodia here this morning. And uh, Ben and Kathleen are here. And Kathleen, as, you, as most of you guys know, is from the large city of Blodgett. And uh, um, what's cool is uh, I've, I've uh, Skyped or FaceTimed them, I think, once. That's it. And... Uh, um, think uh did you just had the baby, right? And so like she's laying there with this newborn baby and and we're talking. And then this morning was the first time they actually met Luke and I got to sit down with Ben on on uh Friday and uh kind of get to know him a little bit more. But that's what we like to partner with. People that are on the ground that are actually their hearts are for um, the lost and the hurting, and that's exactly what they're they're doing. So we're gonna invite them up and have their, they're gonna share a little bit of what they're doing. So uh, yeah, give it up for Ben and Kathleen. Awesome! Thanks.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we are making Blodget extinct. There's like 60 people there, and now there's 59. <laughs> uh, I'm Ben. This is Kathleen, my wife. Uh, we work with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. A lot of you are familiar with YWAM. We have 25,000 staff in 190 nations. All over the world, there are YWAM campuses, YWAM bases, YWAM locations all over the place. There's one in Salem. Uh, There's a bunch of them all over the USA. We work in Cambodia. There are 14 operating YWAM locations in Cambodia. And I started one in 2016. And uh, my wife did her training in Colorado Springs at a YWAM base. She did her outreach in Cambodia. And uh, the Lord is faithful. She wanted to stay after her outreach. Nothing with me. She said, I love this place so much. I feel like God has something more for me here. And I said, yes, hallelujah. (laughs) And so uh, she stayed. She volunteered a little bit longer. And uh, we got married 11 months later. So uh, I'm going to let my my wife talk a little bit more. Thank you.
2: Yeah, we have a little 10-month-old baby. And then we're going to have another baby in May. (laughs) So yeah, that's our family. I'm from Blodgett and my mom, she knows the Wilsons and they connected us to this church. I've actually been here, I was here six
1: years ago, I think. So it's just amazing. I wasn't following the Lord at the time I was here. It's amazing to be back here and just how my life has changed since then. So thank you for
2: loving us and this church is so welcoming and friendly and we're really happy to be here.
1: Yeah, amen. And so missional. I mean, we love hearing. I, I got to talk to Pastor Adam and just hear about how generous you guys are, how much you love missions, you love the nations. We heard you guys were praying and fasting and praying for missions, and I was blown away by that. So just so proud to be a part of what you're doing. And uh, the word in my heart was privilege. I think it was set up here already. Pastor Luke said it. And uh, it's just a privilege to work in Cambodia. We are working in a, a location where the Khmer Rouge, Settled. If you're familiar with the genocide that happened in Cambodia in the 60s and 70s, the Khmer Rouge genocide, 25% of the population was killed, 90% of the Christians, and these Khmer Rouge soldiers settled in the location where we are. And so 75% of the men over 60 years old are ex Khmer Rouge soldiers or involved somehow. Uh, with the genocide. And so place where we live, it's dark. It's very sad. It's gloomy. It's very undeveloped. And uh, when I first heard about it in 2012, I was interested because initially they said, hey, let's go and pray. They put out a map of Cambodia and they said, let's pray for the most unreached parts of Cambodia. And so my eyes went to the location of Pailin, where we work. And I said, what's happening in Pailin? They said, nothing. You don't want to go there. And so I'm like hearing this from another missionary guy and I'm like, what's going on? So I uh, investigated more, did some research trips and it is less than 1% Christian, like not even a half a percent Christian. There are 300 Christians in this province of 90,000 people. And so we said, that's that's something that Lord wants to redeem. The whole story of the Khmer Rouge, it's so sad. And the Lord just wants to bring his light and shine his glory on it. And so we moved there in 2016 and uh, our staff team, we've grown up to 20 people. We do a bunch of different things. We have a youth development center. We have about 200 youth who study English Monday to Friday. It's the biggest private school in our province. We're the only internationals. And so when we arrived in our province, they were like, wow, what are, what's up with these Westerners? What are they doing here? They're teaching English? Whoa, okay. So uh, immediately we became the largest private school. Uh, we do church planning. We started a church way off in the middle of nowhere. No electricity, no water. And uh, it's, it's been a ride. The Lord's hand has been upon our ministry. And so just this year, we bought a long-term property. And so we own this property. We are busting out of our current rental place. We had 46 people sleeping in the hallways and all over the place. And we said, hey, the Lord's increasing us. let us. Let's buy a property. And so we own it. We're going to be doing construction this next year. That's what uh, we'll be focusing on this next year and also discipleship training. And so we led seven youth to the Lord uh, this past year and we discipled them in our training school. And then they just finished their outreach and they're going to join staff with us. And so we're doing secondary training, trying to build them up. So uh, again, just this word privilege. We are so privileged to be there. Some people are like, oh, Cambodia, like, isn't it tough? Like, yeah, it's tough. It's tough here too, though. It's, it's different. But the privilege of working in a place that is so dark, where the light is shining and the Lord's working, is such a privilege. We literally live on the frontier of where the gospel has not yet been. We are pushing the gospel further than it's ever been before. And so that for us is a privilege. We love to do it. And uh, we're so thankful that we get to do it with you guys. So Yeah, God bless you. Why don't you guys stay up here with us? I'm going to come set my stuff down
2: over here. And it's such a privilege, such a cool word. I think we should continue to use that word uh, this season as we consider what the Lord has us doing both locally and come on up here, Kathleen. And I want you guys to uh, just memorize these faces and pray for them and the things that they just shared with us. 10-month-old baby, another one on the way, no big deal, no big deal. And i uh, be praying for them. And as Ben was describing Cambodia about the, one of the most least gospelized nations in the world and the places, kind of remind me of Blodgett a little bit, so it's not a big deal, not a big deal. And... Um, and, and just take some notes, y- young people, take some notes also. Ben hosted a mission trip in Cambodia and got a wife out of the deal, okay? No big deal, no big deal. And, and Kathleen went on a mission trip and found a husband, so it's just so glorious, man. Um, here's the deal at uh, South Beach Church, though. We love to partner with anybody in any organization that we believe has a direct connection to us, kind of organically and strategically God brings to us. We can't partner with every organization, but the organizations and the ministry partners that we uh, connect with, we see God putting them with us on purpose, and it's a mutual blessing that we get to bless them, but we also believe in the sowing and reaping principle, that where we sow, we're gonna reap a harvest as well, And so when men and women come to me personally and say, hey, I want to give my life to the gospel. I want to go live among the poor. I want to help people meet Jesus. I want to do a good news club. I want to host a life group. I want to do a mission trip. I I immediately say, really, you're going to go do that? How much is it going to cost? Because I can't go do it all. I've been there and I've done some things and I'll do whatever God asks me to do. But when we get a chance to participate and to partner with men and women, you can do so by prayer praying for these guys, that they'd be successful in their ministry attempts, praying that God would bless them, that he would keep them, that he would use them, that it would be greater and bigger than anything we've ever asked, thought, or dreamed of, and that God would do that. And then you're going to be part of that party in heaven and say, I-, I was part of that. I was part of that. And so we're doing that financially, and we're going to do that prayerfully. And uh, we can do that obediently as the Lord continues to guide us and lead us. So would you just extend your hand of faith toward this couple? Father, in Jesus' name, we, we do lift up Ben and Kathleen, Lord, and their growing family. And we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, what a fun day. This is such a privilege. It's a, it's a controlled environment, Lord. There's a countdown timer in the back. We have it all under control. There's coffee brewing, and it's real safe today. But yet we know, Lord, there's challenges ahead of this couple. Lord, their faith is going to be tested, and it's going to be grown. And, Lord, you're going to use them in order to demonstrate your faithfulness to others. And the only way that that's possible is through difficulties and, and triumph, Lord, and, and victory. So we just pray in your name, Lord, that they would have their eyes firmly fixed on you that they, Lord, would be protected and that they would be used, and that you would take, Lord, their their small offering, Lord, sowing unto the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that they would reap, Lord, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, ten thousandfold in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that there would be no explanation that as they see the, the fruit, Lord, and the people coming to Jesus and the nationals getting saved and then reaching out to other nationals getting saved, and they just get to sit back and watch this wildfire of the gospel, Lord, take over. I pray you protect and provide for them, Lord. Bless their little guys and gals as they grow up in that environment as well. Protect their marriage and their relationship, Lord. We thank you. We're humbled, all of us, Lord. And each one of us, man, we don't don't know anything that you haven't given to us. We can't do anything that you haven't asked us to do. We can't give anything that you haven't already given to us. And so we thank you, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts for partnering with us, Lord. We're privileged. Bless Ben and Kathleen. We commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Clap for them as they go down there and you can give that mic back to Adam. How many of you guys anticipate a trip to Cambodia coming up soon? Anybody anticipate a trip to Cambodia? I'll go. If you guys don't want to go, I'll go, but uh, it's going to be awesome. Hey, a few more announcements as I get organized up here. It is the Christmas season, and we love putting as much attention on Jesus Christ during this time of year as possible. There's all kinds of COVID complications. In the years past, we've done flash mobs at Fred Myers, and we've gathered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. The cops showed up one time. It was awesome. No one got arrested, and we've gone and done Christmas caroling in old folks' homes. We've done as much as we can. So we're going to continue uh, to do those things as we're feeling confident to do so. A couple things, though, I just got a text from the mayor of Salette about 20 minutes ago, and he asked me if we would come out uh, to the Salette uh, City Hall on December 8th. I don't know what day that is, uh, but at their Christmas tree lighting, it's a Wednesday. And so we're going to go out there and we're going to light their Christmas tree and dedicate the town and that time to the Lord. So we do that uh, annually. So that's happening December 8th at 6 p.m. Salette City Hall. And also for families, okay, pay attention, this is for families with little guys and gals, this is an Advent book. It's called Waiting for Jesus, The Family Tree of Jesus and the Hope of Christmas, and it's just kind of daily readings, and it begins today. Today's the Advent season, so if you have a little family at home and you're wanting to guide them closer to Jesus, there are these books up on my left and up on my right. There's like 30 or 40, maybe 75 copies. I think we bought 150 of them for you to give to you. We're going to put the rest of them out at the second service, so don't be all scroogey and take these all, but uh, these are up here for you to grab uh, so you can continue to celebrate Jesus and make him the centerpiece of the holiday season. Also, additionally, next Saturday, that's coming up on December. whatever. It's coming up at what is it? December 4th? December 4th, next Saturday, we are hosting a premiere in theaters only presentation of Christmas with The Chosen here at South Beach Church at 2 p.m. So the way it's going to happen is you're going to roll in at 2 p.m. We're going to have popcorn. We're going to have candy. We're going to have soda. We're going to have water for you guys that don't like any of that stuff. And you can come in with your family and post up and we're going to celebrate Jesus with The Chosen. It's a series that's on uh, the internet and on TV these days. And it's also going to be rebroadcast that following Sunday at 6 p.m. here at South Beach Church. So two showings to go to Saturday at 2 if you want to go in the daytime or Sunday night at 6 p.m. And just to get you fired up, we're going to show a one-minute preview right now. Do you know where Luke is? I didn't tell him everything.
0: Go, tell it on the mountain. Joseph, oh. I can't keep looking. He's coming. Over there.
2: Are you seeing this? It's time. My soul magnifies the
0: Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Remember what your messenger said. The first thing. Don't be afraid. That Jesus Christ
2: People must know. Do you know what Luke is? Gets me right in the feels every time. Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. And his story must be told over and over again. And over again, and that's really what this season's all about. It's not about Christmas uh, presents and all the other things that we have attached to it. That's about redeeming this holiday. Jesus is the reason for the season. So put all that stuff on your calendar. December eighth, tree lighting and celebs, and also some movie times here uh, next week, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, last announcement before we get into Colossians chapter two, picking up right on verse nine, is an update. I want to do this every single week until we find ourselves in the new building. At least four or five minutes on the new building. You guys know that this building is rented. The city of Newport has plans to demolish. This building and we will be homeless right around the end of 2022. Uh, they told us that right around the end of 2018. So we're kind of squatters now. We're illegally staying here. Just kidding. We pay our rent. We're good to go. The city is awesome. We love working with them, but we need to find a place to go. And so we are praying for God to reveal to us and provide for us the land that we need. We've looked at no less than a dozen parcels in South Beach over the last eight years and identified a few that would work. We could have pulled the trigger a long time ago, but we didn't feel the Lord's permission and uh, timing to do so. So the number one prayer request from us to you and with us to God is that he would give us the land that he wants. So Lord just give us the land. That's kind of the prayer. Give us the land. Give us the land. Lord, give us the land. Now, I believe it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen real soon. And I actually know the land that God's going to give to us. I'm walking by faith and it's going to happen, but we need to just pray to that end. Last week, I told you that we went and picked up our school bus because we're not just opening up a new church. We're opening up a new school as well. And that is a big undertaking. And as I've been talking with some of the people that are helping me with these processes and challenges, one of the things I I've come to realize is that Satan, okay, he'll let a few churches come and go. Not a big loss for a church to be planted here or a church to show up there, but for a Christian school to show up in the year 2022 during such a time as this for a Christian school to come up with its main focus on not necessarily education, that's our secondary focus, okay? We're gonna have hi- highly trained teachers and, and professionals and all that. That's not a problem, that's easy. That's an easy marker. Our primary focus is to raise men and women who love Jesus Christ and who know the way, the truth and the life and how to get there and how to get other people there. So Satan is not going to take this easily as we birth this school. We so need you guys to be praying and participating and celebrating. So I told you we went and got the school bus. Did you guys notice the bus out there when you, when you came in? Big old 38 passenger bus. Yeah, that bus was donated to us by way of faith. Somebody said, hey, if you're going to have a school, you're going to have to have a bus. I said, it sounds a little out of order, but uh, we'll take the bus before the school, you know. And so by faith, we bought that and uh, it's there now. And I want you guys to be praying for us. And when I say us, not for me, for us, because this is going to take all of us to do this. And one of the biggest uh, things we're going to have moving forward is the financial responsibility and obligation. This is a 7,000 square foot building that we're in right now. And right now we're designing roughly a 30,000 square foot building for the school and the church. It's going to be massive. It's going to be efficient. It's going to uh, work exactly for our needs. And one of the things that I pride myself in, and maybe I need to repent of this, but I'm just so proud of our congregation for our generosity. We've never taken an offering here at South Beach Church in 11 years. Never once have we passed the hats. Never once have we done any of that stuff. Instead, what God has done is he has put it upon your hearts to be faithful givers and stewards of the finances that God's given to you. And because by God's grace, we have enough money at the end of every month. We've never had to ask for more money. We've never had to have a giving campaign. Never, ever, which kind of blew my mind this morning. I was considering we have eight staff members here at South Beach Church, which sounds like a lot. That's big overhead. Yet somehow by God's Providence, we have enough money to pay our bills every single month, as well as to fund the ministries and the missions and the benevolence and all of the things that God puts us towards. Here's my challenge to you, though. Statistically, churches globally, 10%, upwards of 25% at the high end of the churches that assemble are the ones who give the money. 10 to 25%. In other words, when a church gathers, let's say there's 100 people at that church, 25 of the people that gather at that church service, they're the ones who are the tithers, the givers, the funders, and the supporters. 75% statistically are just consuming rather than contributing. They haven't received that instruction. They haven't read that part of the scriptures. They haven't responded that way to Jesus. I don't know what the statistics are here at South Beach Church. We don't count our numbers. We don't know who—we just don't—maybe we should. We don't know what's going on here. So I think you guys are more generous than that average, but— I don't know only, you know, and here's what I'm asking you guys to do. There are certain people within our church or watching online that would consider yourself as annual givers. That's the end of your giving. Maybe you have a big business or you have some platforms that you have money and you need to give a tax donation at the end of the year in order to offset your taxes that you're going to pay. We're a 501c3. We qualify for that. So if that's you, if you're an annual giver here at South Beach Church, I appreciate you. Thank you for that. We have lots of those men and women who say, here's my annual check. There are also people here at South Beach Church that we call ourselves wage givers. You guys are the ones who you get a wage, and you've read the scriptures, and you've seen in the Old Testament that there's a 10% uh, formula where there's the tithe that literally means 10% of everything I make, I give back to the Lord. This is my way of stewardship, my way of worship, my way of keeping my heart soft, my way of keeping my rewards in heaven, et cetera, and you are the wage givers. I'm going to call you guys principal tithers. You're the ones who tithe by way of principle. Again, tithe means 10%. And for you, it's a principle. Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> That's funny. I am, though, a principle tither. My parents, Joe and Arla Frechette, they're at home watching right now. They taught me and my sister, Erin, to tithe. That is everything we get from our gross income was given to us by God. And he only asks for us to keep our hearts soft and to make sure that the mission of God continues to go forward, to give him back 10%. And then we get to steward the 90% as well for his glory and for others' good. And so that was ingrained in me as a little kid. I still do that to this day. My family does this in our home. We're 10% tithers. This is what we do. We get a bonus. We sell a car. We do something and we pray about it. And we give that money back to the Lord in that way. Now there is a principle behind this because this isn't the law. I don't want anybody texting me. If you have any questions, just email Toby. It'd be fine. We're not under the law in the new Testament when it comes to giving we're under grace we, we give according to how the Lord would guide us and how the Lord would bless us and, and how the Lord would have us a steward over our own finances. But the principle still remains. So I'm not calling it law tithing, but principle tithing. And here's the principle I wanna put upon you and ask you guys to consider. The principle of tithing, where if you would just say principally speaking, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. If I plant, if I give, if I have some sort of action forward, I'm going to reap a harvest backwards. It's a sowing and reaping principle. And God says in the book of Malachi, he says, test me in this. Go ahead and give of the tithe. Just, just try it. Give 10% of your income. That's a lot for some of you guys. It's a lot where you're thinking this through. Going, That's crazy. That's crazy. You give here and there and you give some, some, some big donations and you're like, I couldn't do that. And the Lord says, test me in this and see if I don't then give back to you out of my storehouses so much that you can't even hold it. There'll be an overflow of increase. And I want to challenge you guys in 2022 to become principal tithers. To look at your income and say, you know what we're going to do in 2020? Let's just try it. Let's just try it for 2022. Let's give 10% of our income. Lord, I can't afford that. You know what? I don't believe you can afford not to. Because God has asked us to live by faith, not by reason, not by sight. He's asked us to obey him. And there are some commandments in the scriptures that are just there, just there, just there. So you can have an opportunity to practice the discipline of obedience. I believe when Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water, one of the lessons he was going to be learning that day was simply trust and obedience. There's no reason to walk on water. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of a bad idea if you ask me. I was just out in the boat with the Coast Guard guys and they didn't advise it. And yet sometimes God will just look at you and say, will will you trust me? Will you trust me? As a matter of fact, some of you are going through tests right now and you're scratching your head trying to figure, what the heck, dude? What's this about? I didn't want this doctor's note. I didn't want this catastrophe. I didn't want this pink slip. I didn't want this problem. I don't want to, what, 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 why am I here? And the Lord's like, oh, I'm just testing you. Years and years ago, I was up in the, early in the morning around 4 a.m. and I was reading Psalm 11. And I remember I was going through a hard time and I got to Psalm 11 and the Bible specifically says that the eyes of the Lord behold the sons of men and he tests them. And it dawned on me. I was like, oh, wait, I'm being tested right now? Oh, well, that changes everything because I was about to pass out. I was about to tap out, freak out, weird out. But if it's just a test, oh, okay. I'm just gonna ride this thing out. And the Lord wants you and I to have the opportunities, the privilege to be tested. I was reading a little bit about tithing. Did you know that if the local church globally, every single person in the local church tithed, Okay, just 10%, every single person, we would be able to eradicate world hunger in one Sunday. One Sunday, not just world hunger, but world illiteracy, over. World water problems, over. Okay, if the church just said, let's just, let's just pool our money together, just 10%. Trusting the Lord and the Lord would then have his way. I want you guys to pray about that. Pray about that here at South Beach Church. Some of you are already doing this. You're giving to other organizations. And I, I tr- this is between you and the Lord. By the way, I don't look at the money. I don't see who gives. I don't check, I don't, none of that. What I want is your pastor, and I <laughs> scratch this from the record, but I don't, I don't like talking about money. I just don't. Pray for your pastor because there's gonna be a lot of this going forward as we look at this multi-million dollar project, but I trust that the Lord is even gonna grow me as your pastor and your friend as we continue to trust the Lord in this. Would you just bow your heads and, and pray with me as we ask God to bless the building, to give us his guidance, his wisdom, his instruction. Father, in Jesus' name, we do that. And I believe I'm gonna be held accountable For every person I counsel, every person I teach, every person I lead as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, Lord, and I ask for your wisdom to teach well, to lead well. Lord, I I ask not just for your wisdom to teach well and to lead well, but I ask for your anointing that everything and anything I ever say would be taken from my lips, Lord, and would be put in the ears of your people and they would hear what you say. They would hear your love for them. They would hear your desire for them. Lord, right now, I'm just reminded of Jesus when he, he told the parable of the 10 talents and he said, one guy got 10 and one guy got five and, and one guy got one and, and, and the guy that got one and didn't do anything with his money. He wasn't responsible. He didn't take any risks. He wasn't grateful and generous. You said, hey man, what'd you do that for? And, and the guys that, that, Lord, you did bless with more talents. You rewarded them. And I pray we'd, we'd be number one, grateful here at this church. When we get a paycheck, we wouldn't say, oh man, gotta give the Lord 10%, but we would say, wow, I get to keep 90%, crazy. And we'd be blessed. Lord, I pray that you would also remind us of the sowing and reaping principle, not just with our finances, but with our words, with our time, with our days, with everything we do. And may we be a rich church spiritually. Keep us humble, Lord. We pray you'd provide the land in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would give us the land. Show us where you want us and provide for it, even this week. Lord, we pray that things would shake loose this week, that we'd have that clarity and that freedom. We'd know what we're doing. We pray, Lord, for Dustin and Amanda Capri as they continue to design the building and add that secondary store, a story today or this week, Lord. And Lord, as they design the gym and the structures and the entryway and putting the elevator somewhere, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you bless them. And we thank you for all you've done. Bless our church, Lord. And all that we attempt to do here in Newport. We pray, God, your blessing on us now as we get into your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen, Colossians chapter two. Let's go ahead and read beginning in verse eight. Paul says this, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition and the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Well, why, Paul? Why, Paul? Why, Paul? Verse nine and 10, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul is defending the truth. Paul is advocating for the gospel. Paul is promoting Jesus Christ, and he is protecting the body from heresy, false teaching, and bad doctrine. And what he says in verse eight, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you with empty deceit with vain philosophy, with the traditions of men, basic principles. We talked about this last week, that to be cheated means to be literally taken captive as prey. Did you realize that when you're watching YouTube, you're watching Fox, you're watching CNN, you're reading the secular newsstands, you're doing all these things, the only desire from the devil himself is to steal, kill, and to destroy? And if it doesn't take you to Christ, if it doesn't line up with Christ, it's out of line. Read verse eight, last line with me. It says, and not according to Christ. That's kind of the big litmus test here. Is it going to bring me closer to Christ? Is it going to make me more in love with Christ? Is it going to elevate Christ? Is it going to promote Christ? If it doesn't, eh, throw it out. It's not going to lead you where you want to go. Now, most of us understand this. Most of us believe this. It's the 9 a.m. service. I'm concerned about the 11 a.m. service. Pray for them. But most of you guys already get this. You're Christians. You already love Jesus. It's funnier than, thanks, Tim, for laughing. You guys, you know, You're here. But not everyone believes this. Some of you guys are here watching online and you're not so sure why Paul would be so crazy about Jesus or why this guy on stage has a big old beard and a small body and he's all about Jesus or why the sign says Jesus. I need you to look at verse nine and 10. This is crazy. This is the craziest thing that a good rabbi would ever say. A rabbi is a Jewish leader and a Jewish teacher. And Paul was the best of them all. And listen to what he says, verse nine: For in him dwells all the fullness of the bo- of the Godhead bodily. And in him, verse ten, you are complete. Okay, these type of words back then will get you killed. You guys know this, right? And Paul would indeed get killed for saying this. He would be arrested and tried. And many times over, they would say, Paul, here's your secondary chance. Go ahead and change your testimony. What's going on? What do you believe? What should we believe? And he'd say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your wishes be done. Now, I want us to get excited about that. And here's the only reason why you're not gonna get excited about that. Because you've been cheated and taken captive by the foolish philosophies of this world. You're not on board anymore. Now, I'm gonna do my best to offend everyone this morning. I believe in equality, just equal offense to everybody. In the next portion of scripture, and I don't know if we're gonna get there or not, we'll see, probably not. I'm gonna try, but not gonna happen. Paul's gonna give us four things that will lead us astray from the centrality of Jesus Christ. Four things that creep into the church. Four things that you're going to deal with the rest of your life. They're going to be what I'm going to call distractions. Even, listen, please, one degree distractions. One degree is not very much. I'm going to point straight forward and I'm going to adjust one degree. Did you notice that? Just one degree. You probably didn't notice. I'm going to do it again. Okay, one degree. Did you see that? You guys don't even see that. If I take one degree and I go, if I go a hundred yards straight, one degree off, I'll be after a hundred yards, five feet off my mark okay, 200 yards, 10 feet off, 500 yards, 25 feet off. If I go to the island of Hawaii, just straight right there, one degree off, I'll be 42 miles away from the big island in the ocean all by myself on a vacation for a very short time. One degree off in your Christianity, okay, will take you far off your path in the rest of your journey. And the first degree that he gives to us to be aware of, we're just gonna call it intellectualism. He says in verse eight, I wanna read it so you guys can write this stuff down. There's notes in the back of your chairs, write this stuff down. He said, because one of you guys are doing this. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit and the tradition of man according to basic principles and not according to Christ. We see this in academia kids who are homeschooled or Christian schooled or raised in young life camp, and they go off to university or community college, and they get around all these professors and teachers that have them read books and tell them that what they've been taught as a young person, I can't believe you're still a Christian, and that's so archaic, and you probably don't believe in evolution or dinosaurs either, or what all these stories, and you find yourself with this desire to be educated and to follow after these men and women who have more degrees after their name than Fahrenheit and have been, been, been educated beyond their intelligence and find out that they're leading you not toward Christ, but away from Christ. Intellectualism. Now, is it a sin to be smart? Come on, South Southbeat. No, it's not a sin to be smart. I uh, don't know. You know. No, it's not a sin to be smart. It's okay. I love, I love Newport. We're, uh, I tell people that Newport's a little different because we are, are lacking a Western influence. We only have East, South, and North. We don't have that Western influence. We're three-directional I'm a little bit limited in some ways, so you guys can use that later. And, uh, anyways, It's not a sin to be smart. As a matter of fact, the smartest person that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ was the apostle Paul himself. The wisest man that ever lived was Solomon. And God gives wisdom and he gives intelligence. And yet that wisdom and intelligence should not lead you away from Christ, but to him. And that's kind of the litmus test is what you're learning is who you're listening to is what you're doing is where you're going, leading you towards the Lord more or less away from the Lord, even in something as respectable as intelligence. The other three things we're going to look at just to write these down and to consider and or put them in your mind. The second one is going to be legalism. This is kind of law and order and rules and things we add to the equation of how we're going to live our Christianity. This happens predominantly in the church. God gives us some rules and we say, thanks for your rules, Lord. We're going to make some more rules because we want to be spiritual. We don't want to be carnal. We don't want to live foolishly. And so we think we need to add to God's program. And and it doesn't lead you closer to Jesus. It leads you into legalism. The third camp we're going to see Paul expose here is mysticism, spiritualism, where people are going after angels and people are going after experiences and people are going after soaking sessions and people are going after these other things. And you think you're actually getting closer to Jesus, but you're not. You're actually one degree off. It's crazy, and your pride puffs up. We're gonna see that in the latter part of Colossians. And then finally, he addresses this idea that was predominant in those days of asceticism. Asceticism is doing away from the things of this world. I'm not gonna have a nice car, not gonna have nice clothes, not gonna eat nice food. I'm not gonna do these things. I'm not gonna live in a comfortable environment because I think that the more I suffer, the closer I am to Jesus. Do you know how you get closer to Jesus? Through Jesus. That's it. You actually don't get closer to Jesus in any other way, shape, or form. You only get closer to Jesus through Jesus. You can make rules to keep yourself safe. That's not gonna get you closer to Jesus. You can go after spiritual experiences and quests, but you better make sure that they line up with Jesus. Why? Well, look what he says in verse nine. He says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Guys, when you see Jesus, you see God. I'll bet you 80%, I hope, at least, of the congregation gathered here this morning believe this fact that I'm about to say. Jesus is God, okay? Hope you believe that. Jesus is God. Not everyone does, though. It's a trip to me. It's like, what do you think he is? Well, I think he's real cool. He's like, oh, okay, cool. I think he's a good teacher. You know, I think he's a, a leader. It, let me give you three proof texts. Okay, Jesus is God. Just write that down. Jesus is God. And this is why we wanna be so centric on Jesus because when we get Jesus, as he says in verse 10, we are complete in him. Jesus, 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 Jesus is real. Jesus changes everything. Jesus saves, it's all about Jesus. The proof text number one is in Genesis one and two. Genesis one and two, the Bible says that when God was creating everything, the pronouns, the personal pronouns are this, let us make man in our image. Okay, it's not God making man in his image, it's God and the son and the spirit. Jesus was there at the very beginning. If you want to know if Jesus is God, read John chapter one. John says this in his gospel in John one. He says, of the things that were made, nothing was made that was not made without him. Speaking about Jesus Christ. Okay, if you're going to make every single thing, guess what? You're God. Okay, you're, you're God. You're not a created being. And Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults and other Christian offshoots will say that Jesus was a created being, that he wasn't always eternal. And Jesus is God. And he is the image of the Godhead bodily. When you see Jesus, you see God. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus is being um, arrested by the Pharisees and he escapes that particular arrest. And the Bible says they seek to stone Jesus. Jesus is about to get stoned. And I don't mean Oregon, Washington stoned. I mean stoned with rocks, okay? He's about to get stoned with rocks. He's about to get hurt and murdered. And Jesus asks him this question. Jesus says, for all the good works I've done, which good work are you stoning me for? Was it the blind guy? Was it the lame guy? Was it the dead girl? Why are you guys trying to kill me for all the good works I've done? And they say this specifically, not for the good works you've done are we stoning you, but because you make yourself God. The Jews knew. The message of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that he was indeed walking and claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah, God's son, God in the flesh, and said, we're going to kill you because that offends our tradition, that offends our intellectualism, that offends our legalism, that offends our mysticism, that offends our asceticism, that offends us. And so Paul, who was also previously offended by this message, came to a believing state and said, Jesus is God. And the third proof text is in John 14, when Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he leaves and departs from them. And he says, I'm going away to be with the Father. And Thomas says, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father, man, we love the Father. And Jesus says to Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I don't wanna labor too long because I think 80% of us are there, but if you're not there yet to today, you need to get there. What you need is Jesus. What I need is Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Verse 10, look at this. It says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. This is a gift that he's given to you. Paul was fighting for the church because there were heretics in those days telling people, you're not quite there yet. You're on the JV team. You need to do more, know more and be more before you find yourself actually walking in unity with, with God through his son. And Paul would say, no, no, no. In him, you are complete. Now don't raise your hand right now. But how many battles do you fight every single day, every single week facing the thoughts that you're incomplete, that you don't have enough? You've done too much bad. You don't know enough right. You haven't done enough good. This is not a level that we achieve to be complete in him. This is a gift that we receive in Jesus Christ. This is who he has made us to be. You are complete in him. Can you imagine if you rose up every single day, went to work, loved your spouse, were single, raised your kids, did what you did knowing that you were complete in Jesus Christ and there was nothing lacking, nothing more for you to do, nothing more for you to add, nothing more for you to figure out. It's all right there. And because it's all right there, you're going to live a lifestyle of adding, completing and figuring out. You're going to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's already there. Paul wants the church at Colossae, this young church, this church that was sprouting up to know that they were complete in him. As a matter of fact, he gives us some pictures, verses 11 through 14. He gives us some pictures that would make more sense to them. I'm gonna do my best to unpack it. Look at verse 11. He says, in him, we're still talking about Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the flesh of the body of sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul now uses these pictures that would make more sense to them than they do to us. But what he's talking about is this spiritual circumcision, this spiritual burial, and this spiritual resurrection that all comes from who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Listen, and how that then correlates and impacts you and I. Circumcision. Circumcision back in that day was very important. It was an outward sign, okay, of ownership of God over a people. And when the men of that People group were circumcised, it symbolized that they had a relationship with God, that there had been a little bit of flesh cut away and a little bit of blood shed out of these people. And they now had fellowship with God because of the shedding of blood and because of the cutting away of the flesh. This would also pour over and spill over into animal sacrifices where their flesh would be slain and their blood would be poured. And they would have a relationship with God in this way. Listen, all of that was a shadow and a type pointing to Jesus Christ the lamb slain before the foundation of the world who didn't have just a little bit of flesh cut and a little bit of bloodshed. Paul uses in these verses here, verses 11 and 12, he says through the circumcision of Christ, that is the putting off of his flesh. This is speaking of the cross. And when Jesus was crucified, they took a cat of nine tails a wooden handle with leather straps. And on the end of the leather straps were pieces of bone, pieces of glass, pieces of metal. And they would whip the person who was being crucified upwards of 39 times, sometimes 40, but 40 would kill the person. And after the first five or six whippings, what would happen to your back is your back would become swollen and tenderized like a steak. And as those bones and those pieces of glass continued to go in, the flesh would get ripped off of your back. So intense records tell us that sometimes a rib would be latched onto by the cat of nine tails and pulled out of the victim and thrown across the courtyard. And Jesus was filleted. The circumcision, the putting off of his flesh, his blood spilled for you and for me. Paul arguing to the church saying, why are you guys so concerned about what you know and what you don't know and, and, and who's in the know? Consider our savior who died for you. And he didn't just die this horrific death, but he was buried And you who have been baptized. You believe he died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb and that he rose from the dead and you've been circumcised in Christ. What he did, he did for you. And you've been buried in Christ. When he was buried, he was buried for you. And when he rose from the grave, he was risen for you. And it changes everything. But I'm still from Blodgett. Right, And Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He'd never been there. Some of you have never been to (laughs) Blodgett. And he knows that the Lord and what he did for them through faith, the working of God, raised him from the dead. So here's what's gonna happen this week is you're gonna be tempted to get down on yourself or to get down on others who don't know as much as you haven't done as much as you. And you're even gonna have good motives. Your motives are gonna be self-righteousness. And I just need to get, I need to do more, I'm so stupid. I can't believe it, I need to read Yep, you, you know all your deficiencies, don't you? If you don't, your spouse does for sure, okay? The whole list of them. And Paul is wrestling saying, guys, you're complete in him. Some of you right now are actually waiting to take the next step in your spiritual journey, your faith journey. You're waiting till you, till you, till you do some things. You've created this legalistic list. Maybe it's smoking. You got to quit smoking before you step out and get baptized or before you volunteer for something, or maybe it's this, or, or you haven't done this, or maybe you got to quit cussing, or maybe you got to read the Bible. You don't even know the Old Testament. And I can't volunteer for Sunday school. I haven't even read the Old Testament, you know, and neither have I, by the way, just kidding. That's funny. And what the devil's gonna try and get you to do is to focus, listen, one degree off in your Christian journey, completely off of the Lord, missing the mark, because it's not about you. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about, some of you guys aren't going to struggle with your intellectualism. You're going to struggle with your sin. Look at what he says in the next verse in verse 13. He says, and you, it gets so good. Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. He was circumcised. That is the putting off of his flesh, the shedding of his blood. Verse 13, why? What does this do? This is the personal application. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Did you know that before you met Jesus, you were dead spiritually? We're born dead spiritually. We come out of our mother's womb, impacted and affected by Adam and Eve's sin that has been passed down to our birth mom and our birth dad. And we're born spiritually separated. When you're born, you have no heart for God. You're not into God. You're not wondering about God. You're not learning about God. You are dead to him until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and regenerates you. I'll read it again. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Two things, the uncircumcision of our flesh when we're born, we're not connected to him. We've been separated through sin, not just the way we were born, but the way we would then act through our trespasses. We call this nature and choice. You're born dead, and then you act like a spiritually dead person throughout the rest of your life until you're born again. And because of that, We see people walking around without a clue as to what life is all about until the Lord intervenes and changes them. And he says right here that we are made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, a smile just came across my face because I've got some trespasses in my history. The word trespass means sin, it means crimes, it means offenses. And Paul emphatically says here, you were dead, but now you've been made alive and you've been forgiving of all your trespasses. That's a lot. How many of you guys ever thought about all the sins you've ever done and that night you slept with one eye open? You know, I won't be in trouble. You know, it's a lot. Do you struggle with this? You walk around with your head down, shame, guilt, condemnation, remembrance of your past, The Bible specifically says that God has taken your sins and he's hidden them as far as the East is from the West. Okay, there is no East pole. There's no West pole. There's no distance that that can be measured. It's immeasurable. He said, I put them so far away. The Bible actually says that God can't remember your sins. Not that he is faulty and has a problem and has a memory issue, but he's chosen to put those out of his memory. You and I don't have that privilege, okay? I find that my sins are far and farther removed, but man, every once in a while, the enemy will come back and just remind me of that thing that happened when I was nine. You ever have those? You just wonder where'd that thought come from? What am I thinking about that again? And you bring it to the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling with this issue in this past. And Lord says, I don't remember that. I chose to forgive that. You are complete in my son. And we show up to the Lord with our list and our backpack of woes and our backpack of guilt and shame. And the Lord looks at us and he sees Jesus Christ. He says, why are you carrying all that? You're forgiven. Walk free. And here's your mission. Set others free along the way forgive others. Have you ever read the gospels and seen how freely Jesus forgives those who have directly and personally offended him? Peter offended him maybe more than anybody. And Jesus would not let Peter go. Peter tried to quit multiple times. He said, I just can't have fellowship with you. I'm going to screw up. I, do, I don't know how to do it. And the Lord says, uh-huh. And blah, 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 blah. I hear you talk and don't know what you're saying. You love my sheep? You love me? Feed my sheep. Let's go, let's go. Pete, I got things for you to do. Did you know that you have that same call in your life to not only receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, but to set others free and to remind them they're forgiven? This is what makes Christianity so great, that it's not the intellectualism and the prowess and the things that we can do. It's all about what Jesus has already done. He says it this way in verse 14. Here's how you are forgiving. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers and having made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. You have been forgiven, how? How? because Jesus Christ has taken your writing of requirements that is against you. And he nailed it to his cross. There is a list, a celestial list of all of the things that you have personally done wrong and will do wrong. It has been recorded. We know it, he knows it, everyone knows it. You know what Jesus said he's gonna do with it? He's gonna nail it to the cross and it's gonna be wiped out, covered in blood. And when God looks at that list, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of his son. He sees forgiveness. In the first century, what they would do when you would accrue a debt with a friend is you would write it down as a record. And as that debt then got paid back, you would erase it. But that debt wouldn't be erased while it was still active. And there would be this debt hanging over and you'd always know, man, I owe this person and this is happening in my life. And eventually if it was paid back, it would be erased. But even worse than that, in those days when they would execute somebody, whether it be a guillotine or a sword, or a cross, they would take the crimes that that person has committed and they would write them above that person. They'd say, this is what this person did. This is why they're dying. And so too, what the enemy wants to do in your life and wants to do in my life is he wants to remind us of those things that are death worthy, those things that have caused death to others, those things that should enact the death penalty upon us. But what Paul is saying here is the guys, it's all about Jesus. It's not a matter of what you know. It's a matter of not what you don't know. It's a matter of who you know. And if you know Jesus Christ, you are complete in him. He has wiped away all of the handwriting of requirements that were against you. And he has made a public, listen, listen, he's made a public spectacle of the enemy of your soul, the devil himself, having triumphed over all principalities and powers. You guys. I want you to read, I guess we're not gonna get to the end of chapter two. I thought I was, not gonna happen. I'm glad you guys didn't laugh because that's funny. But to verse 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. You guys, Paul's writing this from jail and he's not just seeking to be poetic here. This would make sense. This would correlate and strike an image within the readers in the first century of a general coming back from war with his soldiers, with their horses, with blood on their armor, swords in their hands, and the bad guys and the enemies being trailed behind them as they have taken them captive. This would be a public display of a nation that they have won over and they would take all of their spoil and all of their young and all of their women and all that they had and it would be theirs and they would have conquested in victory and their wives and children and countrymen would cheer for them as they see their soldiers coming back victoriously. And what Paul says about our Jesus, that he has done this over the devil himself And the people that are following him that he has now taken captive into his kingdom, he has plundered, he has plundered out of the enemy's kingdom and has set those captives free and the men and the women and the belongings and the livestock and everything that follows after Jesus Christ is now not captive, but has been set free through Jesus and his victory. This is why we, all of us in here, whether you acknowledge it or not or deny it and stifle it, all of us at one point have fantasized about being a warrior, about being a hero, about going to war and taking out the bad guy and seeing the good guys win and the people liberated and people set free and young boys and young girls dream about being the hero. And we have video games that orchestrate this and construct this false narrative of battle because it's ingrained in our souls. This is why sports are so big. This is why battles are celebrated on the screens and Braveheart and lord of the rings and saving private ryan and all of that all that's stolen from the great cosmic battle that is happening right now and has already been won by jesus christ and yet the devil he wants to lead you astray just a little bit i don't know what plans the devil has for me i, I can imagine he probably has a whole set some are worse than others Some are just to get me off just a degree. Let's get Luke into intellectualism, okay? It's probably not going to happen. I was homeschooled. Poorly. Love you, mom. I'm not going to lie. What about legalism? We'll talk about that next week. This idea of now that I'm a Christian, man, I got to do it right. I can't blow it. can't blow it. Lord, thank you for your rules. I'm gonna add my own rules. I got two books I read, first and second opinions. I got a whole bunch of them. It's gonna be awesome. And I'm gonna impose my rules on other people. And guess what? That whole group, that whole family, okay, in in Jesus' name and wrongly will be one degree off and they'll be swimming in the ocean apart from their destination. He he goes on, you can read it later in, in your own time. And he talks about this spiritualism people going after weird things. And maybe even in Jesus' name, you're reading books, you're going to conferences, you're going to seminars. And man, we're gonna, we're gonna go deep dive into the spirit. Careful, careful. You're complete in Jesus. Stay, stay on the road. Watch out for the ditches. I don't know what it is for you. It's so simple though. In him, you are complete. For you husbands, for you moms, for you dads, for you wives, for you moms, for everyone here that's leading a family, it's so imperative that you keep it simple at your home. And just keep just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. For you guys and gals that are leading businesses or your influencers in our community, the devil's gonna try and lead us astray just by one degree. And what better time than right now than the holiday season to put our focus back on Jesus Christ? And it might not be this huge repentance for you. It is a repentance for me though. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I was getting stressed out that I didn't know enough. I was getting stressed out that I didn't have enough. I was getting stressed out, Lord. I'm, I'm complete in you. Like King David, like Peter, like Moses, like Joseph, like Esther, like little Mary. Not one of those people had anything to boast of. And God looked from heaven and said, perfect. Perfect. That's what I need. I just need your heart. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that it's that simple. And I thank you that from the apostle Paul's cell, Lord, he was so impacted by the simplicity and the centrality of Jesus Christ that he penned this powerful letter to the church at Colossae saying, guys, beware. Don't get all tripped up even with good intentions, even with good motives, do not get tripped up in the false battles. Stay focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen from the dead. For in him, you are complete. All of your handwriting requirements that was written against you has been wiped away. And Christ has disarmed principalities, making a public spectacle of it. He is our hero. And Lord, I repent. Maybe you need to repent with me this morning. Having done life your own way, having thought things that were contrary to Christ or contrary to the gospel. Maybe not in a real emphatic way, but just enough where it's just not the focus. And let me, let me say it positively. If you want Jesus to be the focus, if you want him to be the plumb line, if you want him to be the center of your life, would you right now just slip up your hand a little bit, just slip it up in the air and just say, yeah, Lord, I want Jesus to be the center of everything I do. Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way or wrong way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, my hand is up as well. I repent. I repent in Jesus' name. And I ask whether you would take the wheel. Maybe you're here watching online and you haven't given your life to Jesus as your personal savior. Would y'all put your hands down? And you would like to give your life to Jesus and ask him to be your personal savior, to be your king, to be your leader. And you would give your life back to him the Bible says that if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. That that is the saving faith. If you believe that right now, okay, confess that to Jesus that you believe. Confess it to him right now. Say, I believe, I believe. And let Jesus take over your life and to save your soul and to lead for you everything you do from here on out. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. We trust you. We trust you. We believe time is short. Lord, believe that it's very important right now. So would you help us to major on the majors and minor on the minors? Lead us as we go. Thank you for the day that you provided. May we live it for your glory and for others' good. Bless again, Lord, our crabbing fleet. They're out there right now. Those guys are unloading pots, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of pots. And we pray in Jesus' name, blessings, Lord, on their catch. Lord, as they pull those pots on Wednesday morning, December 1st at 8 a.m., that they'd be blessed. They'd be full. The crabs would be healthy, Lord. They'd be heavy. Lord, keep our fleet safe all winter long, and we love you. Provide the land, Lord. Give us wisdom. Be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, "Amen Amen and amen." God bless you guys. You are.